Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is winning the talent war with my friend, Radu Palamaru. I'm sure I didn't pronounce your last name correctly, Radu, but please introduce yourself and your company. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. And don't worry about my last name. Uh, I don't even pronounce it uh, <laughs> properly anymore. So I'm the managing director of Elkut Global for Europe and for Asia, currently based out of the lovely city of Barcelona in Spain. And, and what we do, there's a couple of things that we do, but biggest piece of our business is executive search for end-to-end supply chain roles. So we work with some of the largest manufacturers of the world. We work with logistics and transportation companies, shipping companies. We work with e-commerce players, as well as we work with the technology or log tech supply chain technology companies in recruiting their top tier leaders to drive the companies forward. So that's the biggest chunk of the business of Elkut Global. Yeah, so it's Alcott Global. Where where is Alcott Global? Is that worldwide? Yeah, we have we have offices all over the well, more or less all over the world. We're not in South America probably, but yeah, the rest of the continents are pretty well covered. Yeah. The reason I connected with you is was on LinkedIn, and you're always a very a good contributor to LinkedIn. But I also look at all the stuff you create. I was like, oh my god, this guy's got a, he's got his finger on the pulse of this business. That's why I wanted to talk to you today. So. Radu, before you got a very interesting background, and please tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Give us some of those career highlights before you joined Alcott. Sure. So originally from Romania, Eastern Europe. In full disclosure, I'm not Dracula, though, so don't be scared. <laughs> like most people know a few things. I mean, Romania is not that well known, but they know Dracula, a lot of people. Then, then we have Nadia Comaneci, which is the great gymnast. Yeah, that and then Ceausescu, that would have all I know. And then you have Ceausescu, which is maybe not the best role model, but yeah, he's probably known. <laughs> and then you have a couple of other sports players, right? Maybe Haji for football. Now we have in tennis, uh, Simona Halep, which is a pretty good. So that's, and we, we tend to also be, known, especially in the States, I think there's, there's and, and in Europe, we are very good at IT and technology. And interestingly enough, that's where I went to school. I mean, school is in university because my parents with good intentions, they said, look, go after something that will feed you. And they said, go after computer science, which I did. Very difficult to get in. I don't know. It was five or six people per one seat, right? And and I got in because it was mathematics. Mathematics, I was decent at. But then as time progressed, then you start going to physics and algorithms and programming. And I was like, this is, <laughs> this is not, this is not for me. So I ended up studying psychology, graduated psychology. And then after graduating, I left, ended up in Singapore by fairly random act. Was that for work? It was for work. It was an internship at that point with a consulting management consulting firm. I say random because I was trying to get into Asia. I had work, work traveled, done internships in Europe. So I said, okay, it's interesting. Let's go to Asia. And this was 2008. I didn't even know where Singapore was or what it, what it was. <laughs> and I went and it was, uh, it was amazing. So uh, 13 years. I've always heard very nice things about uh, Singapore. By the way, my daughter's boyfriend is from not... He's from Slovakia, and my sister was um, sister. My daughter was just—I don't know if she went to Romania, but she went to a lot of countries in that region, and she just loved it. She was just over there pre-COVID when we were all traveling, and she she loved that region. I, I've been to a, 
don't think I was. To, I never got the chance to go to Romania, but I I love that I love that area, Austria, Germany, all that. I've never been to Singapore either. So, what was your what was your impressions of Singapore when you got there? Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, Singapore is an amazing. It's it's an amazing city. It's a bubble in in many many ways. It just works. It's a super advanced. Uh, Super well run, um, very tech friendly, business friendly. I was, uh, I think, I believe, seventy to eighty percent of the global top Fortune five hundred companies have the regional headquarters in Singapore. It's a super right. international city, melting pot, amazing. So loved the, the thirteen years there, and and then about six months ago we decided to come to Barcelona because we are opening a few offices in Europe to expand the business. I'm in charge of that project. So it made more sense to be here with COVID. It's a little bit troublesome to travel back and front Asia. Oh, yeah. And here am I, right? So uh, so that's in a nutshell. So in Singapore broke off, what, from like Malaysia? Was that part of Malaysia? And then it broke off. And that's like a country that's when it started in the 40s, 50s? Not very old. I'm no expert in history, but it's it's one of the most interesting independent stories because it's not that they broke off. Actually, Malaysia kicked them out. So it's, it was a very interesting dynamic, mostly political, as far as I understood it. So in the, it, this was in the 50s or 60s. And it was not at all something that Singapore wanted, actually. Uh, and at that point, it was a tragedy because they were all of a sudden like, okay, we are all by ourselves. And we are cut off from, I mean, it's just an island, ultimately, right? And what they managed to achieve as a country from third world, literally, right? Mud roads oh, yeah. to where they are now is just a fantastic. I mean, it's a 50, 60 years journey from, you know, yeah, zero, zero to hero. Obviously, you speak English. Is English the first language there? Yeah, they have, most of the people speak English. They have four national languages. Back to the melting pot. Also, Singapore is just, a, it was built by people that were not from there, basically. Right. So it was, you know, over time, the British, and it was a colony, and it was a major maritime hub. You have Chinese as a... So there's four official languages, actually. English, Mandarin, Hindi, and Malay. They are the four official languages of... Singapore. Half the world can get along. Half yeah, the world. Three quarters of the world can get along over there with that, those more languages. Half the world. Yeah. I, I just know this. I used to have... Uh, I used to go to Thailand a lot. I used to go to China a lot. And I remember that we had test facilities and automotive test facilities in Singapore. And I always remember... People go, well, I have to go to Singapore. This, So I'm going right from China to Singapore. And I was like, I have to find a way to get over there. I have to find. And I never could get there. And I remember people would come back and go to the office and say, oh, wow, my God, Joe, you would love Singapore. And I was like, I'm trying to finagle my way over there, but no such luck yet. So I think my, I, I don't think I'm going to have the opportunity unless I have a reason to be over there for business. But anyway, so happy to have you on my podcast. So Alcott Global, they are the, in the people business. A lot of recruiting. What do you guys do besides recruiting? We have a division that does events. In the last 24 months, it's, it's been online. Yeah. I think we've added quite a lot of value. We've, we're actually very proud. Our last event was more than 10,000 people, which was wow. the largest. Yeah, one of the largest. And it just also testament, one, I would hope that we have a fairly good speaker lineup and content and all of that. But secondly, and maybe more importantly, is, is just a testament that supply chain has come of prominence, right? It's this whole situation, 12 to 24 months, has just brought it to the attention of a lot of people that realized you can get broken as a business or you can really significantly win market share if your supply chain is good. So so I think that that, that we've, we've seen like trend there. So we do events. 
Then we have a supply chain academy, supply chain training arm that tries to upskill, reskill, and educate both hard skills and soft skills, again, at mostly leadership level in, in companies. And then as you, we try to put out a lot of content, mostly free, which is our intent to educate or share or spread the message of supply chain and share best case studies so that everybody can learn. So across the board, if you put it in a bigger picture, we try to connect. We like to say that we connect and help upskill the supply chain ecosystem. Right. And I think one of the things when we we're prepping, we we're talking about what, what should we talk about? And I think this talent war, <laughs> winning the talent war is one of those very, very important things. I mean, almost everybody I talk to on my podcast, if it's not the topic, you know, when we're talking before or after the podcast, the idea of talent comes up and we've, we've all had a problem. I mean, there's, there's virtually everywhere in the world, there feels like there's a little pocket you know, in a supply chain, all it takes is one chain to be one link to be broken for the for the chain not to work. And I think we've all experienced that in our personal lives and a lot of us in our professional lives. So today's topic, again, is winning the talent war with Radu. Radu, what is one of the things that you're hearing from all your clients in the logistics and supply chain business? What's the first thing we need to worry about or focus on when it comes to winning that talent war? Look, there's many problems. I was talking today even to, to somebody. Now, I, I don't know how accurate the statistic. It was something that for every one candidate in supply chain, there's a multiple of between three to six, depending on who you ask, jobs available. Now, that does bring into account truck. I mean, it brings all jobs, right? So it's not just white color. It can be right. drivers. It can be... But it's insane, Joe. Like literally, I, one of my friends is a global head of supply chain. He told me that his global head of e-commerce left being offered 50% more <laughs> by a competitor. So the market is out of whack. Companies have completely gone, they've, they've gone mad around realizing, look, we don't have the right talent. We don't have the right capabilities. We need to act fast and switch on fast. And and it's just full on war. We can, we can talk about it. Right. And, and, and what's also interesting to me about the talent war in general is, especially if you're working in a large company, companies, as soon as they get to a certain size, they start having rules and regulations regarding, you know, their people. And they say, we give a raise 5% for this, 7% for this, 8% for this. They're not usually accustomed to saying, oh, we're going to give Joe and Redu a 40% raise this week. <laughs> they just, it isn't in their DNA. And if you have a thousand people doing the same job, you go, we can't, that we can't do that. We can't all of a sudden give massive raises to Joe and Radu unless we create new roles for them because it it's against our policy. It's and I think this puts a lot of big companies in a in a trick bag. But they typically I would think have the name and maybe benefits and other stuff that would attract the little guys, I think they don't have as much rules and regulations, but they're also trying to convince you to go to some, you know, small organization that you've never heard of. So it seems as if we all have a problem with it. And I'll throw this out there also to you, Radu. We have so many people at the bottom, wrong way to say it, people who are uh, on the docks, who are in warehouses, those people here in the United States are in great demand. And those, they have lots of opportunities to work remote. They have other opportunities to go work in the gig economy, drive a, a car or deliver food. And I feel like we we have an across the board from top to bottom of talent issue here. I'm sure you, you would have a better sense for it. 
Yeah. No, and it's again dynamics. We're working on a senior search in in US. Almost all the candidates that that we've put forward, it's a chief operations officer, the industry's log tech. All the candidates that we've put forward that are very good, one are over the budget that the company allocated. Right. And not necessarily because the company is is is, is big listed multi not being cheap <laughs> billion dollar company, but just the market <laughs> demand is is like shipping rates, right? I mean, there's a reason why now it's 10 times more than it was two years ago because you know right. demand is up. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's a simple logic, it's simple mathematics. So that's number one, right? The budget they allocated versus what the candidates are asking for, different. Two, all the candidates all have other discussions and they're not necessarily all of them i mean this is a chief operations officer of a multi-million dollar company this is not i mean it, it, it's not a mid-search right it's not these are not people that are actively looking but they're right. getting approached left right center and it is to a point where people are like i mean let's have a chat no problem right i mean if i'm happy i i mean if it's something way better the example i gave 50 percent maybe i go right if not, I stay here, no problem, right? But it doesn't hurt me to have a chat. So it's incredible. One, salaries have gone bang. Two, the demand and the, the fight for the candidates that exist in the market is super, super high. So that's the one thing that I'm observing. Now, back to your question, what do you do in such instances? We, tell, we very openly tell the client, look, what do you want to do? Do you want to lower your expectations or do you want to pay what the market is paying and of course we go we bring with the data and like this this is i mean this is not us making up fairy tales this is what is happening and there are some very mathematical and we've put out i think yesterday or the day before we've put out a log tech mapping that we've done with a couple of great partners and the amount of investment that has been poured by venture capital by private equity funds has been massive money is extremely cheap and it's just created this bubble, which will burst, Joe. will absolutely right. burst. The friend of mine, Ruben, said the bigger the party, the bigger the cleanup that you have to do <laughs> the second day. It's going to happen. But for now, it's a big party. Increase the salaries. Candidates are getting approached left, right, center. So if you're a company, well, make sure you pay appropriately and make sure also you have a story. And we'll talk to maybe to the point of how do you attract people. The story and the vision and the long term is aligned and is something that these people can can buy into. Yeah, you know, when I was young, it was in my in my twenties. I was uh, in, in engineering design, right? I was not an engineer yet in my degree, but I was a designer, automotive designer, and they, everything had gone to these CAD systems. And the rates just started going through the roof here in the Detroit area. There was a big boom, and this happened to me and many people my age. We would just go from job to job to job for more money. And you'd be at a job. I would be at a job for like eight weeks, literally eight weeks. And I would get a call and somebody say, well, what are you making? I tell them, and I just gotten a big raise to go to that company. And I would say, I'm making this. And they say, we'll give you this much. And then I look around and I say, do I want to stay here? And then, and then somebody say, well, you can't have eight weeks on your resume. I was like, I won't have it on my resume. I'll take it off my resume. What do I care? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who would know? <laughs> and, and so I'd look and i go, I make, I make 40, 50% more than I did last year. And I did that for a while. And I will say this. I found myself in a job that I was un, underqualified for. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, they're going to ask me to do things I don't know how to do. And so there, was, there always is that deep point, the hangover. And I was lucky. I was at a company that valued me and, and they they trained me. I stayed for five years at that job. And so they so in a lot of ways, I felt like I didn't get caught. 
but that can happen, right? Yeah. No, there's, there's, there's always, yeah. So what about candidates wanting to work remotely? I mean, is that, that has to be part of this also. Are people saying, I want you to come and do this job? And then the guy says, yep, I'm, but I'm staying here and I'm, I'm in sunny Barcelona or I'm in, I'm in Florida and I'm not leaving. And I want to do the job for this much money and I'm doing it from my house. I think that's a reality that most companies are slowly or more, not so slowly acceleratingly accepting. The future, I think, is the present, is flexible. I wouldn't say it's 100% remote necessarily. No, no. There's you got to come to the of office sometimes. Where right? you still, you know, I mean, you, we are human beings. There's only that much that you can do online, right? We need to meet. We are social animals at the end of the day. But the element of do I need to commute at one hour or two hours every day to go to the office and, and come back? No. I, that will go away. So I think it's going to be two hours or two days or I don't know, maybe maybe a model where the company will just be flexible depending on the individual. I think that's the best, right? Because maybe for some, it will be I go one week there and three weeks I work from home. So I think that's where we are. Again, depends on the job because if your job is a dispatcher or a warehouse operator, I mean, good luck trying to do that from home. <laughs> We're not yet there. <laughs> right. Well, I would also say you're a senior person and I and I'm in charge of an organization. I have to obviously be more visible, right? I, and now it's different if I'm an individual contributor and I'm working from home and maybe I'm auditing or doing something that says, it doesn't matter where that guy does his work from. But if I'm the boss, I have to be there. I have to, you, have, you have to see me. I have to be able to lead. So the first one is how to recruit. And you just told us, it's, it, there's just a new reality and you feel like we are in a bubble. But if you got to hire, you got to hire. And you're going to either hire higher prices or lower your expectations on who you get. Yeah. Fundamentally, maybe to fun times for us as, as headhunters. I love it, right? Because we charge on the annual salary. So <laughs> the higher the salary, the more margin. <laughs> so, so the bubble for you too, huh? <laughs> I am extremely selfless when I say that. But fundamentally, I think it's not about the money. And I mean, that is not the primary. Money is important. It's not the primary goal. I was talking to the largest e-commerce company, right? Uh, some of their executives. Mm. And they're actually struggling. They're, they're losing people hand over fist. Now, just to spell it out. So Amazon has built now a system and it's it's a well-established machine that probably them losing, they probably lost 50, if not 100 of their VP and above in the last 24 to 36 months. So it's been a massive exodus. But Amazon is at a stage now where it, it can, I, I think it's not going to impact that much because it's already fairly systematic. Yeah, I think they're 38% of e-commerce, right? So they're yeah, doing okay. They'll, they'll be fine. <laughs> but, but my point here is uh, the discussion was like, how do we also make sure that we retain our people? And look, this, the reality is that maybe you can't, right? Maybe some of these people that were with Amazon 20 years ago and they were the entrepreneurs building this thing, you can't anymore retain them. Because it's time to go. They they do other things. They're the builders, right? They're not the managers. They're not, you know, they're not nothing wrong with either being a builder or a manager. But it's just a different phase of the company. And they might have made a lot of money along the way. And they, they say, would have made a, I am, a I'm a manager here or a director here. And somebody offers me a job to be the vice president or the CEO. And I think that's probably happening because I think most much of the business world looks to Amazon and says, boy, what a great story. Can I have, can I grab a guy from there? And I got to think that's a quite a feather in their cap to say, our new head of blank is from Amazon. <laughs> but that's exactly what happened. That's exactly where those 100, whatever, VPs and SVPs went. 
they went to startups, well-funded, one billion, two billion, whatever. It probably started companies, right? There's, yeah, that's exactly. I mean, this is not. I'm not telling any secrets. You just have to Google it or LinkedIn it, and you'll see. Yeah, what a wonderful story. I, I did just recently interview somebody from Amazon, and <laughs> they uh, they had quite the wild ride there. Did very well. So, I mean, most of them don't need to work. Even I mean, they don't. When they take these jobs, it's not because they need the money. It's more they need the thrill, right? Because they're used to a certain. I mean, m- most of them are multimillionaires by now. But the point maybe to bring it back to where we started with the money and compensation and Amazon executives asking, how do we retain our people? And one of the questions was, do we give them more shares? What do we do? Right. And I'm like, no, fundamentally, my impression is not that, that you will retain people by giving them more money is that you will retain them by giving them better quality of their life, work life, a better meaning and purpose. Right. I mean, make sure that what they want to do is aligned to what the company wants to do or give them that, right? You will, that's how you will retain them. And that's, that's way, way more important. And look, again, the great resignation, right? It's a topic that has come across and it's makes papers. People during COVID have gotten burnt out, completely burned out. And it happened to me. Maybe it happened to you. Maybe. I mean, I know a lot of people, right? If they didn't get burnt out, they definitely had some thoughts in their heads because all of a sudden you're stuck at home. You have kids crying in your head. You have to work 16 hours if you don't have kids or your cat or God knows. There's a bunch of new complexity that we had to all to deal with that triggered us to think, what am I doing here? <laughs> so you get burnt out or you, for sure you end up in a situation, what am I doing in my life, right? Some sort of questions around that. Or third bucket, you get opportunistic calls from headhunters like me and saying, hey, I'll give you 50% more. So you have three big buckets and sometimes it's all three at the same time. But anyway, of reasons why people are like, oh, screw this, I'm gone. Right. And you mentioned the quality of life. I think that, especially if you've made a lot of money and, and uh, if you had enough money and you say, why am I working so hard? Why? What am I doing here? Uh, especially if you get older and you say, uh, look, I should lose weight and uh, I should be healthier. I should take more time to enjoy my life. One of the things I've always, this this comes to my mind for the last 20 years is I worked many years 50, 60 hours all the time, just on a regular basis. And I have friends who worked many more. Some, somewhere along the line, we we decided we work five days a week. That's in the United States. Five days a week, 40 hours a week, eight hours a day, I should say. I think that some companies could probably, I'm just thinking out loud, I'm already seeing some of it where they're saying, we're going to work four days a week. And I think that could be a tr- very attractive to somebody where they say, hey, come on in for this much money. And you work four days a week, as long as you get the work done. And if you're in a management role, maybe you can make that work. I think that's very attractive to some people. Look, and and again, the the devil for the big companies, it's going to be easier probably for smaller companies. I mean, again, the mantra my first boss taught me, blessed are the flexible, Joe, because they will (laughs) never be bent out of shape. So... The key to survival, and not even survival, thriving, is be flexible as a company. And don't stick to bloody policies because we're not all the same human beings. And it's this is right. bloody hard to do. It's so hard to do. I mean, I had to, one of the hiring managers in a very large logistics company contacted me to say, hey, our head of regional global heads of ocean, I think I'm going to lose her. My HR is telling me they can't raise because this is the market benchmark. And I said, when was this the market benchmark? Because right now, ocean freight 
experts are worth evaluating gold. So if you're not calibrating with the current reality, you're going to lose. So this is where the devil of policies come in place and big companies. And small companies alike, if the management is not flexible. So I think the future and not if the present is, you got to give flexibility. We almost need to tailor make or try to make policies for each individual. Of course, still in the framework of the company, you can't just completely be rogue. But that's that's key. Yeah. You know, years ago, I read an article. It was by Seth Godin. And he was talking about two different types of companies. And he said, in terms of people. So the first is what he called the battleship. And battleship would be like the big, big companies, the Fortune 500s that we've all heard of, global companies. And the battleship has this mentality of this is a battleship and it works this way. And if one man goes down, the next guy shows up and there's hardly any difference. So that guy got shot out of that shot, move him to the sick bay. This guy steps up, no degradation of function. We've all worked in battleships, I think. Many of us have worked in battleships. And it's hard to feel valued sometimes in those. I mean, I worked in automotive. I loved it, miss it many days, but they're battleships. When one guy leaves, they replace him with somebody just as good or better. The other model uh, Seth Godin wrote about was the blueberry pancake. You went and got blueberry pancakes and they said, I'm going to put six or seven blueberries in that pancake. That's good. But if you get an eighth one or ninth one, oh, that's even better. If you took four or five away. So every blueberry matters greatly in that blueberry pancake. So I think if you can work in a blueberry pancake style company and you can be that extra blueberry where they say, that is really valuable to have that extra blueberry. <laughs> That's what you want to be. Not in the battleship. And again, battleships have some real advantages, especially when you go to war. <laughs> but, yeah. Horses for courses, always. Yep. So the first big topic we hit on here was how to recruit. And we talked about that one. So the next one we were prepping and you said, and this is, this is near and dear to my heart. You said, we have a skills gap going on here. So talk a little bit about that problem. And again, you can't win the talent war if you don't have the ability to educate and upskill your people, right? Yes. And this this part, with it's almost like we should start first with sometimes with reskilling or, um, yeah, upskill, reskill. There's an element that you need to unlearn first and then relearn. First, everything is moving at such a fast pace, Joe, that nobody knows it all. You just got to accept it. And in fairness, most education systems if not all. I don't, want, I don't want to upset any bigger universities because there's definitely, and we have a good relationship with MIT. And I mean, I think there's some premium, but most of them struggle and they, they you can't keep up with what's happening. And you can't, I mean, by the time that you get the student out of the university, whatever he or she has learned is more or less obsolete. Right. So I think we, we need to change that. And what we are trying to do specifically for Elcode, and maybe a little bit of a, of a plug here, I mean, what we are trying to do now is create some programs that are 20 to 25 hours maximum, where it's like supply chain essentials, where it builds a basic fundamental understanding of what I is like it. across end to end, plan, procure, make, deliver. What, that, what, what the hell does it mean, right? And then logistics, right? I mean, sometimes, and there's all this log tech, I was talking to a CEO of a, of a company that raised about 50 million. And he was saying, look, Radu, I get the people to listen to your podcast because that's how they understand supply chain. I'm like, whilst I feel flattered, I'm like, yeah, but they, and, and there's some sort of, you know, 
platform fundamentals. I don't know. You just go in there and you maybe in two hours, you kind of get a sense. And he said, no. So that's what we're trying to, to build, Joe. And then we're trying also to get practitioners from the industry that says, okay, in 10 minutes, here's how you negotiate rates. Here's how you procure this. Here's how you look at whatever, manufacturing. Here's very practical. These are not professors. These are people that work in the industry from the biggest companies and come and give the snippets. So if you, me as a practitioner, need some bites of information specifically, then you, you get in there and you get that. I think this, whether it's us or other, there's other programs that are being built, this is the need, the big, big need that people can have access in a fast, interactive way. You don't need fancy accreditations that you would need to pay a lot of money. I won't name any, but there's, there's a few, right? None of that. that. There's no need for that. There's no need. We should, we should have access. Information should be free, mostly, or more or less, very cheap, if not free. So I think that's where we're heading into this model. Yep. I, I can tell you this from my own experience. First of all, I went back to school and got my master's in education geared towards consulting and training adults. And so I've spent a lot of my career in that area, mostly in automotive. And then the last 10 years, I've done a ton of training in logistics. And it's crazy. You can go online and do training via you know, go to webinar or go to meeting or Zoom or whatever. And, you know, one hour. I've done a ton of those one-hour training on a million topics, it seems. And from my perspective, that is just where we need to be. It's, I'll call it just-in-time training. Many of the topics I'll cover, you know, like, uh, I'll just use the example. The Food Safety Modernization Act changed and, and impacted trucking. We're well, not going back to school for that, right? And that, there's, there's no course anywhere to take. So you have to learn the ELD mandate, the electronic logging device. A million things, but also like our industry in the last 10 years has become very digital. And and what I always say is we have the guys who understand trucking and warehousing, the logistics business, freight brokers. And then we have the the tech, technical people who understand, hey, this is how this is how we're going to digitize. This is how it could happen. Yeah. And, and, and they have to be of one it's mind. Cool. They're all working together. And I think we're getting more and more of that that hybrid guy. But yeah. Yeah. most people today. They went to school for either logistics, supply chain, business, whatever, versus tech, right? Joe, I mean, I shared journey of one container, which is a very good nine minute, 10 minute, I don't know, um, piece done by Wired, right? Wired, the most famous supply chain technology platform, right? I mean, nothing to do, right? I mean, this is insane, right? You get supply chain on every mainstream media nowadays. And great that it happens because they did a piece that is... This is how you move a container across the world. And I was like, this is fairly basic. Now, I've never worked in logistics. I mean, I, I've not come from a port, right? I've done recruitment for 10 years. I hope I understand to a certain... But to me, it seemed fairly simplistic. I mean, it was like, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming most people would know this, right? How do you move a container? Like, it didn't strike me as something that... Mind-blowing. It went viral on my LinkedIn. It went uh, 200,000 people and they were saying, Wow. We have to put a link in the show notes, so make sure you send that to me. But here's the thing. This is how I always feel. We're in silos, and I think you, you've said yes. this to me before. I could be a freight broker. I got out of school, and I went to work for one of the large freight brokerage companies, and I'm really good at understanding domestic transportation and trucking, right? And I might be extremely valuable to my organization and to my customers, but I really don't know where that stuff came. I know it comes from China and I know it comes into the West Coast. We pick up there, but you've never become knowledgeable because you didn't need to. But I think more and more, 
the supply chain people that we many of us serve expect us to have that end-to-end knowledge. I, I'm from automotive, and I would always say we talk from order to cash, order to cash. How do I reduce that time from order to cash? And I think, especially as more things become automated, we all of us have to pick a supply chain and say, "This is my vertical. I'm not just a I'm not just a logistics guy. I'll get you a truck." Because I think the digital guys are going to do it without us. We have to become an expert in a supply chain, an expert in the food supply chain or the retail supply chain or automotive supply chain, not just a guy who could get you a truck because that isn't enough for tomorrow. It's hardly enough today. <laughs> like you said, order to cash, end to end. And look, as basic as it sounds, back to this container thing that shocked them <laughs> and that so many people reshared it and said, wow, this is so simple. I'm going to watch it I was like, <laughs> or listen to it. Really? Like, and they're like heads of supply chain, Joe. It's like, gosh, really? Like, Mm, you know, 20 years of experience and <laughs> you found this to be so... It was shocking to me. But this is a reality of most companies, whether you talk Unilever, you talk G, you talk... They, most of the organizations fundamentally do not have at large, none of them. I have not come across, I will be bold to say, I have not come across any organization in this world that has an end-to-end education understanding in their supply chain departments, right? So, Or if you're in logistics, they would not understand parts where they actually where the value is because port to port that's a commodity like the price of i mean okay but you need to understand how do you i mean how do you do international supply chain solutions you need to understand i mean you need to go way more bigger picture which is what also the shipping lines are doing now by investing in 3pls right because they're trying to provide an end-to-end solution and they're smart but most people again you look into the granularity of the organization and even at sea level they don't get it they're like no i I mean trucking i mean asset utilization I'm like, "Mm, you sure? (laughs) Right. We have siloed organizations, siloed services. We occasionally, you see somebody says, we do warehousing and transportation, right? Warehousing, transportation, maybe they have a logistics function. Those are the larger organizations. Even those guys don't have, don't necessarily know how, what happened in China or what happened in India. They don't know how their supply chain was procured. I'm, I'm from automotive. And I think we were talking about that prior to hit and record and I remember probably 20, 20 some years ago, I was in an interview. Some recruiter had called me and they kept saying, with your supply chain background, you'd be perfect for this. You know, we're looking for supply chain professionals. He must have said supply chain 10 times. And I kept saying, supply chain, what's he talking about? I was, I was an engineer working. I was a prog- program management engineer managing projects in automotive. And he kept saying supply chain. And I was like, what is that supposed to mean? I know there's a supply group down the hall. I don't ever hear anybody say supply chain. Nobody said it 25, 30 years ago. Everybody says it today. And I think there's a lot of people who went to school for engineering and they don't necessarily consider themselves part of the supply chain. They don't say that. They say, I'm an engineer. If digital people don't say, I'm uh, in the supply chain, I create digital supply chain solutions. They say, I'm a digital guy. So in a lot of ways, we all touch it, but none of us, <laughs> all of it. And part of this is also the, how did you say, the starship, the battleship, battleship issue where companies had to, okay, this is the box. You do this, right? You are in customer service, KPI, bang, mind your own business. Yeah, and you got a big you have a big job and never do anything but their little function. You know, you're in procurement. Okay, how much savings, right? Well, think again, dude, in procurement, because if you screwed your logistics providers, you screwed your semicon providers, 
try now to get your order. Try now to get, right? I mean, if you think just in your box and you're not actually thinking this an end-to-end level, you're going to get... And this is what happened, Joe. I mean, in the last 12 to 24 months, there's been very large companies that almost went belly up because they had not behaved in a partnership manner with their... And because the I got calls right after the pandemic hit, I got calls from different people said, should I renegotiate my rates with my carriers because rates are going to be going down? And I said, well, I thought they were your partners, right? I th- and, and I just envisioned some people when the pandemic first started saying, uh, call in all the carriers. We're going to, we're going to get, we're going to get tough. We're going to lower those rates. This is uh this is our time to shine. And then a, then a month or two later, they realize, oh my God, we can't get a truck. <laughs> Yeah. But trucking is just a small piece of this. I know this is painful for all of us to hear. It's a very small piece of the supply chain. So we have to become those end-to-end guys and realize, you know, I will say this, and I was wrong to say it, but when I was in automotive, I wouldn't attend logistics meetings. Why? The cost wasn't large enough for me to care about. I was in charge of a lot of money. That was always five or five or seven percent of what I spent. What do I care? I'm not going to that meeting. I never attend. It's enormous amounts of money when you get out outside of automotive. You go, that's a huge chunk. But that tells you where we're at. We all have to become bigger thinkers. We have to be good at our local area, but we have to understand that end to end that you just talked about. But what is Alcott doing to help us? I mean, companies like Alcott, what are you guys doing to help educate, upskill, reskill, re- un- untrain us and train us? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, dare use such words. But look, we, we, we try our best and I would invite whoever is listening to this to check out our website, to check out. We also have a podcast, which is Leaders in Supply Chain. Where we, we'll put a link to that. Where we interview C-level uh, executives. So I think all of that is part of our effort to to use a fancy word, democratize knowledge, right? It's all free. It's all available. Now, of course, there's going to be elements as part of the training and supply chain academy side of our business, which will be paid. But again, we'll make that we'll make that uh, affordable. But again, Elkett Global, by and large, uh, the main core of the business that I manage is executive search. So what we help businesses in is identifying and recruiting the best talent that would move their companies forward, whether it's a VP, EVP, C-level positions. And yeah, but I think if I'm to go, uh, not to go overly salesish, I know this is more of a sales pitch, but not to go overly salesish, I've always believed that if you give enough value to people, and this is actually happening to us, if you give enough value to people, they will eventually come and buy from you, just buy, or they'll at least ask, what the hell are you doing, right? I mean, you know, I, I can I can see, and this has happened to me countless times, right? People see because I post stuff on LinkedIn or I try to keep it. No, that's how I got to know you. And then they say, okay, but, you know, uh, can we do something? Can you help me with this? And then maybe I can, maybe I, a lot of times I can't, right? But I know people that could help them, right? So then I always try to operate in this connected ecosystem, right? Because what goes around comes around karma. I believe in good karma and, and bad karma. So that's, you know, again, back to the biggest vision, connecting and upskilling the supply chain ecosystem, myself, supply chain, executive search. Yep. And I would also say that um, when you do those podcasts, when you do stay connected, you become thought leaders, whether you like it or not. Uh, you, you say, well, I'm not doing it. But when you talk every day, and I, I do three podcasts a week, I consider myself lucky the education I get talking to people like you. You guys are doing the same thing. And then when you also, when you're creating these this training, I like that from a perspective of there's lots of people who can say, I can match a resume to a job. But 
truly understanding the business by talking to the executives and being that connected and actually being able to develop training education systems. That's that's key. One last thing we wanted to talk about, and we've heard the name that we've all heard the name, and you mentioned it earlier, the Great Resignation. What is that all about? Yeah, and and I think we we talked about it briefly. Yeah, so it's it's, it's down to those three elements that that um, that I mentioned that people mostly got burnt out or had time and or had time to think about time to think <laughs> and or are being poached for other opportunities which are plentiful and then all these three in segregation all together or two of them made it in in such a context that all of us were like okay is this really what i'm doing sometimes when you're caught in the red race i don't know if you saw that meme that look he's our top performer and they, they asked the boss how do we keep him and then the boss replies we give him more work so he does not have time to interview in other places <laughs> look covid fundamentally for a lot of us was a reset or forced us to to rethink what are we doing here because up till then it was you know maybe a mundane type of a work life go to work come back it forced us to think so that's why the crux of it that's to me the great resignation people had time to think they got burnt out and of course a lot of them will quit right i think also when when everything slowed down there was a time when I, I we didn't know how bad the pandemic was going to be i thought is this the end is 10% of the world going to die here what what is going to happen right i also had some very older, much older, fam friends and family members who were very sick and some died. And you go, it makes you step back and think, is this, you know, is this what it's all about? Right. I think other people, I'm not my kids are grown, but other people all of a sudden said, I'm at home with my kids and I like it. <laughs> I like being with them. You know, I like these little things that hang out at my house <laughs> and maybe rethought what they wanted to do. And you know, if you think the government money in every every country is a little different, but got the government money that hit some houses was significant. And that also made you think, right? <laughs> yeah, we got out of the rat race for a minute and took a walk in the park and thought, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Or I, I or I don't like my job. I want to want a new job. So we were all rethinking. Maybe we need to do that without a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is your antidote? What do you, when you guys talk about the great resignation, what do you talk to your clients about when it comes to the great resignation? I mean, I don't, I know you'd have a silver bullet for it, but what do you talk about? Well, in fairness, I, I, I don't necessarily want to fix that, that problem because it's giving me business. <laughs> so if, if I am to be completely honest, which I always am, I'm not trying to fix that. <laughs> now, should, if, you should do it every year. <laughs> For, for my executive search, I love it. Now, but in fairness, what I did tell the company that I named before and what I keep telling executives, look, if you don't want people to resign, make sure you give that flexibility and make sure that it's tailored to the individual. Don't expect that you just put a policy in place and that will fit everybody in the company. Right. And this is... This is leadership one-on-one, -on -one. get to know your people, get to know what they want, right? What triggers them, what motivates them. Let them take a break if that's what they need, right? A lot of people, I mean, we don't need to get into burnout situations, right? I was talking to Ivanka Jensen, who's the chief supply chain officer of Philips. She said she herself took a break because her team were giving her feedback. Look, Ivanka, you're tired. You being tired stresses us out. You stressing us out, we stress the next team out. So take a break, right? And because and, 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 you need to be in the top shape right. as well as the leader whether you're chief supply chain officer or you're a manager. So, and the same, allow your team to do that, right? I mean, as difficult as it may be. 
So all this, I I would say it's fairly fundamental one-on-one human relationship skills. But I, I, I think most, unfortunately, most managers don't have it. No, I think that's the problem. And especially, I would say larger organizations, unless there's something from the top, I don't think managers necessarily have that flexibility to say, yeah, you guys all take the week off or, you you know, do take two days off. And then you say, oh, great. I took two days off. And they go, yeah, that's two days vacation time for Redu. You go, whoa, whoa, wait, I wasn't taking vacation, (laughs) right? It's interesting. I have two daughters who are in the workforce. So I do hear from them and I do talk to people all, all week long on my podcast. And I've heard some people say, well, we have unlimited vacation time at my company. And and then people like my age always go, what do you mean unlimited vacation time? What's that supposed to mean? They they still have to get their work done, but they have a lot of time off. Well, there's a, there's, well Joe, there's another question that you should ask. How much did you take last year? One thing is to well, have that, unlimited. One thing is to have unlimited. Another thing is to take any of the unlimited. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was just going to say, I had a conversation with friends and one said, I have unlimited time off. And the other said, I have three weeks off and I bet I took more time off last week than last year than you did. And I think you're right because the job was so demanding that they didn't take all their time off. So again, that speaks to the burnout. And my friend said, unlimited vacation time is better for finance and accounting to manage than, than, uh, than giving three weeks off or two weeks off or whatever. Anyway, enough of my blather. I'm going to summarize. Then I want to get your final thoughts on this topic. Then I want you to tell us what's going on over at Alcott. So again, we're talking winning the talent war with my friend Radu. And you start first about this whole idea of, you know, the real problem. How do you recruit the, the top talent for logistics and supply chain? Big problem right now. The second problem we talked about is just the up upgrading of of talent. We need to educate the people who are in place. We might need to recruit new people. That's what Purdue hopes. And But we have to improve our skills. And it's not going to be go back to school. It's going to be maybe some targeted classes that, that get you up to, up to speed on your job right now. And the last is this whole idea of the great resignation. And these are all very closely related. And it comes down to this. I need top talent to succeed and we don't have enough of it. And I think that starts really at the dock floor all the way to the top of the house. <laughs> so final thoughts, Ritu. Look, you summarized it really well. So I would just encourage everybody to use the best headhunters out there, Elkut Global. I'm very objectively sharing that. <laughs> and joke aside, I, I think, you know, I want to wish everybody listening to this a great year because, uh, well, a great year. I would want to wish that we brace ourselves and, you know, we expect this to be a tough year, but at the same time, Remember the mantra, there's another mantra, everything in life or most things in life will work just fine if you unplug it for a second and plug it back in. And that for human beings, and to me, I mean, there's people that function workaholics, nonstop work. That's 1%. I don't know, whatever. There's not, I'm not like that. And a lot of people, most people are not like that. So just let us all remember when, <laughs> when we need, take a break, recharge and and you know the job or whatever it may be it will still be there and it's usually the whole world does not rely on us and there's people that can help us whilst we are away exactly i love that so who's the sweet spot for alcock global who do you guys serve and what do you what do you do for most of your clients yeah so it's it's chief supply chain officers chief operations officers head of procurement head of logistics manufacturing positions quality 
R&D. Of course, for, for transport logistics related or shipping related, we do PNL all the CEOs, managing directors, area uh, heads. So we serve anything that is linked within an end-to-end ecosystem and companies that make or move things and need leaders at the top level to manage and upgrade their companies and take it to the next level. That's what we do. That's the sweet spot. So Radu, I think of the supply chain, they, they make the stuff. That's the Procter and Gamble's, General Motors, the, you know, the, the, the big, big companies. We, and I'm sure there's smaller ones in there too. They, the, the makers, and then there's, you know, look at the movers, you know, the transportation and logistics companies. The, do you serve both? Yeah. So just, just to, to name a few, maybe. And that, that was also, that's how we chose the, the title of our event. It was Makers and Movers. So Makers, we, we work from very large FMCG, not Procter & Gamble, but, you know, Nestle and, and the likes. Uh, you said you said FMCG, CG. so that's fast-moving consumer goods, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. We work with large retailers as Walmart, for example, but not Walmart in particular. Obviously, e-commerce is a very large category. Wayfair is a very large client for us. In the, in the States, for example, of course, they are also in Europe, in Germany, in the UK. We work with Maersk on the transportation side. Wow, you guys work with the big dogs. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the big dogs. That being said, Flexport is a client and they've kind of shaken up the digital 3PL or digital. They were just on my podcast. They were great. Who? Who from them? Oh, God, I'm trying to draw a blank on the guy's name. The head of their air freight. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Shah, Mr. Shah. Shah, yep. yeah. Yeah, so great company. So we... we we do several things. We also work with private equity when they go in and buy assets and then they need maybe a CEO or CEO to restructure it. So fair, broad palette of roles. Excellent. Excellent. And so you work with both sides of the house, the makers and the movers. And uh, how do we reach out to talk to you guys? Easiest LinkedIn or our website. Uh, you can approach me. You can approach any of our of our uh, consultants, partners on, on uh, LinkedIn. We have a website, uh, elkoglobal.com podcasts, uh, Google, we're fairly present. So I would say social media is, is our main. What I'm hoping you give me, I want these links. I want to link to you. I'll put up the needs in the show notes. Link to your LinkedIn profile. I have that. Link to your website. I have that. The video on how the container. that box move, the container moves. I want that. I'll put that in the links. And then your podcast. What is the name of your podcast? Leaders in Supply Chain. Leaders in Supply Chain. So make sure you give me a link to that and we'll put that in the show notes too. And again, I do reduce an excellent follow. Even if you're not going to buy from him right now, you should uh, follow him right now because he's got, and I think we all have to start thinking, you know, you're a, you're a global person. You've been moving around. Some, a lot of people here listening to my podcast are probably half or three quarters in the United States. We tend to think very much about our own little world. And there's a big world beyond. There's 95% of the population lives outside of the United States. And we need to we need to understand it better. And because uh, that's where a lot of the stuff we move comes from. So Exactly. Super. Radu, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure, Joe. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And I uh, appreciate you guys all taking the time to listen to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.